We'll read our text tonight from the book of James, chapter 5. Familiar verses around here, 5, 16, 17, and 18. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. It's good to be back home in Portland for a visit at midwinter meetings here in the tabernacle and see my Portland church family. Some people ask me from time to time, do I miss Portland? And I answer it this way. We love our grandchildren. We've been blessed with a third grandchild up in Spokane. They keep us so busy that we have to take vacations and travel. But we love it. We feel so blessed. And we are blessed here to be part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prayer and faith. Examples of God answering prayer. That's our heritage here at the Apostolic Faith. We're thankful for that. And the story of Elijah is an example of prayer, intercessory prayer, and great faith. Elijah was very brave and courageous. I can't help but not think that when I read the story. I wonder, how could I ever be like that? But the story of Elijah is an example of God answering prayer and giving victory and pouring out His blessing. It's a story of mercy and love for people. It's a story of really great sin on the part of King Ahab and his regime. But God cared deeply for them. He loved them. It's a story of blessing for being obedient. You know, we all qualify for that. Uh, We can experience that in our life. Uh, We can pattern ourselves after the what we read in the Word of God. And Elijah's a pretty big figure. I realize that. But we can uh, take some of those traits and put them to work in our life. And we can experience the same blessing. Uh, We can experience answers to prayer and victory in our lives. Thank the Lord for that. It wasn't an easy time back then. That three and a half year time period of no rain was difficult. You read in First Kings chapter 18 that there was a bad famine in that region of Samaria because of no rain. It wasn't easy for Elijah. He had some mountaintop experiences, but he had some pretty tough times to go through. He went through some valley of death experiences. But God was good to Elijah. Uh, God gave him this task. And, and when God gives you something to do, He will see you through. Uh, he won't abandon you and leave you on your own. God will be with you the whole way. Elijah, the prophet, had bad news for King Ahab. 
First Kings 17.1. We read the story about that three and a half year period in First Kings chapter 17 and 18. And Elijah just marched into the throne room there where King Ahab was and said, it's not going to rain for these years until I say so. And that's the way we read it there in First Kings. There's not going to be any rain. There's not going to be any moisture. But according to my word, I'd like to share some of my impressions on our first trip to Israel back in 2013. I remember coming out of the airport in Tel Aviv, and and then we went over to, uh, well, the airport's outside of Tel Aviv. We traveled to Tel Aviv, and I, I didn't see any green grass, uh, people mowing their yards. I, I didn't see any of that. I don't think they have yards there. They, well, they do, but it's not like neighborhoods here. I, I just didn't see much greenery. Um, they do have trees there. I, uh, we traveled all around the country. Some areas are just completely barren and desolate, and, and the areas where there obviously is some moisture. And in the highlands, you, you see some trees. But coming from the Pacific Northwest, it doesn't impress you. And I look to the east. There's mountains to the east. I didn't see any snow-capped mountains. We we flew in here and and it was a clear day the other day and and we flew right by Mount Hood. We were so close that like you could reach out and touch it, but I could look a little further south and see Mount Jefferson. When the plane turned west toward Portland, a clear view of uh, Mount Rainier. We could even see Mount Rainier, Mount Adams, Mount St. Helens, and what a what a gorgeous view. It's not like that in Israel. It's a dry climate semi-arid on the coast and the parts of the interior they see little to no rain so it seemed like it was already a a dry area uh, the jordan river i i'm not even sure why they call it a river uh, you've been over johnson creek just about a mile or so behind us here it's more like that um, i understand that they uh, they pump out a lot of the water for per, uh, irrigation so i'm sure that is part of the reason uh, but it's not a it's not an area like around here. Uh, we have a beautiful area here, but Israel is just kind of brown and dry, and there's a little green, but not much. And when Elijah went in and told King Ahab that uh, no rain for three and a half years, that wasn't the news that he needed to hear. I just wonder uh, why Ahab uh, was the way that he was. Uh, didn't he know Israel's history, how God had blessed them and led them? There's a lot that's unsaid in the Scripture, but Ahab would have known about Israel's history and, and how God had brought them to that point in time. Uh, he would have known uh, about the crossing of the Jordan River under Joshua. He would have known about King David and King Solomon. That would have been recent history for him. King Jehoshaphat lived just prior to King Ahab's time, he would have known about that, those miracles. I remember my senior year in high school. I was so anxious to get out of school, and and um, I remember I had one class after lunch, and I don't even remember what it was. I think it was economics or something like that. And but I, I would sit in class, and I'd put my hand and my my chin and my arm, and I'd line it all up on the desk, and. I could take a nap. 
And I would do that. I did it every day. And someone said, how do you do that every day? You know, he was impressed. And um, I don't know, maybe Ahab slept during a history class. I don't know how, how, he, how he missed that. How, how he didn't realize that as king that he would be held accountable uh, by God. You know, we read about accountability in the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, we'll be accountable uh, for what we know and what we do and how we how we treat the gospel and and uh, are we active in the Lord's work and uh, do we have a, a vibrant relationship with with our heavenly Father? Accountability is part of the Bible. I'm sure King Ahab would have known about the writings of Solomon, where it says righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. He would have known when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Just think Ahab could have had a, had a government where the people would have been happy. Instead, he went the other way. Ahab's father, King Omri, was not a good example. Read about him in, in chapter 16, the preceding chapter there. Verse 25 says that he was evil in the sight of God and did worse than the kings before him. Boy, isn't that a nice thing on your resume? But then in verse 30, just a few verses later, often you read about the king and how good or how bad they did toward the end of their life. But here at the beginning of Ahab's kingship, in verse 30 it says that King Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Verse 31 tells us that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, the Zidonian king in area just north of Israel. I don't know if there was any love and romance there or if it was a marriage of convenience, but the name of that king should have been a clue to Ahab. It literally means, when you translate it, with Baal. And Jezebel, she was a real sweetheart. You read in that chapter that uh, that there were groves made for Baal worship, uh, that they established Baal worship in the land. You read that Jezebel killed or tried to kill off the prophets of the Lord. We don't know much about them, but did that. Well, what a nice person. You know, there's a trajectory to sin. Uh, there's a path to sin. The further you get away from God, the further you are away from Him. You have to retrace that those steps back to Him. Elijah was prompted by God. And he marched into the throne room and said, this is what's going to happen. You're going to suffer for three and a half years. Elijah seemed to be working alone, but... Elijah wasn't alone. I know we feel that way sometimes when we're out and away from church and we're uh, during the day, we're at school or we're at work, and we might feel like we're the only Christian on the job. I wonder if Elijah felt that way. We read about Obadiah, that he was a God-fearing man, the Word tells us. And he was the governor of Ahab's house. Isn't that an amazing thing? And it says that he feared the Lord greatly, and he was able to rescue 100 of the Lord's prophets, saving them from Jezebel. I think how God has the right people in the right place at the right time. Now, we may be few in number, 
But if you're where God wants you to be, you're in the right place. I would say look around for something to do. Ask God, what can I do where I am? How can I serve you here? How can I be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ here on my job or here at school? God will use you if you have a willing attitude. God has people in the right place at the right time. Three and a half years, we're nearly over as we go through this story quickly. Elijah instructed King Ahab to summon all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel, which was not too far away, a short distance, and bring all the people of Israel and bring the 850 prophets of Baal too. They were going to have a kind of a show, a showdown, I guess, or a standoff. And Ahab agreed. He showed up and brought everybody with him. And it says in verse 21 of chapter 18 that Elijah came to the people. This is after the prophets of Baal had prayed throughout the day to their God, Baal, that he would answer by fire to prove that Baal was God and not the Lord God, Jehovah. That time had passed, and now it was Elijah's turn. And he asked the people a question, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If failed, then follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. That word opinion there has always intrigued me. You don't read that in other places in the Bible. I kind of wondered about that. I you know, uh, it, this is a political year, an election year, and it's such a wonderful time of, to be alive. And 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 um, it seems like you, when you go online, or even I mean, I'm getting texts and asking me, uh, "What's your opinion?" or send money. And I learned a long time ago not to click on any links when you're online because you'll pay for it down the road. It almost seems like he was asking him a political question, but it wasn't. It's just framed that way. But he wanted them to make up their mind. Just simply make up your mind. You know, we have some power in and of ourselves. And we can make up our mind. And that can be a powerful thing. Uh, That can be something that will reorient us and point us in the right direction. Uh, We can make a course correction. Uh, We can change our mind or make up our mind to go a certain way and it'll benefit you if you have made up your mind and you're going to see it through. Elijah just asked the children of Israel to make up your mind. They didn't say anything. Uh, But Elijah prayed again. You know, we have prayer throughout this story of Elijah. Elijah prayed at the beginning. He prayed when he was up in... Uh, being cared for by the widow woman. He prayed up there for the son who had died. And now he's praying again here that the Lord God would open the eyes of the people and follow the Lord. Elijah said in verse 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. God offers a way back. We're so thankful for that, that God holds out an invitation. Even here tonight, uh, there's an invitation open for the unsaved. There's a way back to a relationship, a restored relationship with the Lord. Now, God answered 
Elijah's prayer by fire and consume uh, the sacrifice. And then we read that again that Elijah went up further up the mountain and he began to pray for rain. Because God had assured him that he would send rain, but Elijah prayed again. Uh, the life that we live as a Christian is a life of prayer. Uh, we need to pray all, all the time. Sometimes we, I grew up thinking, well, we have our prayers in the morning. We have our prayers before we go to bed. And it's more than that. Uh, we live in a spirit of prayer. Uh, we can say a quick prayer while we're driving our car or while we're faced with a task. We can just whisper a prayer to God. We can be like Elijah in that regard. Oh, we can be a man or a woman or a, a prayer. God help us to be that way. You know, when Brother Byron was preaching this morning, and uh, I, I remember the time uh, when he got saved. And I'd like to share a little bit of that story from my perspective. It was camp meeting in 1978. I was just had just turned 18 years old, and I'd gotten saved the year before. Byron and I had been friends, and we kind of drifted apart a little bit. And and there was a Sunday night during camp meeting, and God's spirit just came down. And I I can still see this picture in my mind. I looked across toward the back of the tabernacle, and people were praying throughout the tabernacle. And it wasn't quiet prayer. It was camp meeting prayer. It was loud. And, and I, I could just feel the presence of God. And I, I, I just knelt down over here to pray, and a thought popped into my mind, go call Byron. And Byron's not going to want to talk to me. And, but the thought came again, go call Byron. So I got up and I walked out into the foyer over here and they had pay phones over there. Do you know what those are? You know what they are. And, and, and I had a coin. I was, I, I had money then and I wasn't married yet. And, and I, I put a quarter or a dime in or whatever and I called Byron and he answered the phone. I said, Byron, you're just having a great prayer meeting here. We just had a great service and God is blessing. Why don't you come over to the church? Well, I was right. Byron didn't want to talk to me. And he wasn't going to come to church. But, you know, God wasn't through. I was through. <laughs> I mean, I went back to pray. And I heard later, Brother Byron's dad, Bill Parker, and others. I don't even know who they are. I should try to find out. They went over to his house. And then Byron, like he said this morning, he just raised the white flag of surrender. He prayed. You know, when people pray, it moves the hand of God. And when the hand of God moves, often He moves people. He prompted me to go call Byron. But he had, a, he had other people lined up too. When you pray, expect God to put you into action. Uh, expect to be a blessing to someone else. God will bless you if that is the conviction on your heart and the desire of your heart. God will bless you greatly if you obey Him. God bless you. We're going to pray and sing song 405.